Well, happy Easter. He is risen. I'm Bo, one of the pastors here. So glad to have you. Um, so I dressed up for the occasion. I borrowed this coat. Richie Hines, every year. Richie, he was sitting in the front row when Richie hit off to. Richie wears this coat every year, and every year I'm like, Richie, that coat is amazing. And I went over to his house, and he was like, it's yours this year. You're welcome. You're welcome. So here we are on Easter. What a a beautiful day. And today is kind of interesting, right? Um, It's Easter, and it's April Fool's Day. Right? Yeah, some are like, oh my gosh, the most perfect day, right? And, and, and others, you feel this weird tension about that, right? Like, you know, um, it's meant to be a little more serious maybe or not. But so when I knew it was happening, I too, I was like, ah, this is, is weird. This is weird. Easter, where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, his, his death on the cross. It feels, maybe the word, scandalous to have Easter in April Fool's Day. It was like 62 years ago that it happened. Anybody remember that? Remember the last time it happened? No, it was a long time ago. And they don't seem to go together. But I got to warn you, I've never really been good at things that go together. Maybe having those things that combine that shouldn't go together. My, one of those sort of examples, my wife and I, on our anniversaries, we typically will watch an um, overly violent movie. Um, those don't seem to go together. <laughs> anniversaries and violent movies but we somehow have made that work. I think it's my fault. I think we've, we've broken the transition recently. But maybe Easter is more scandalous than we give it credit. And maybe it does fit perfectly with April Fool's Day. And so that's what I kind of look at. Easter proclaims a resolution to a major conflict called death. Major conflict of sin Easter has a happy ending. And for some of you, or many of us, we have a hard time believing in happy endings. It feels like an April Fool's Day, right? To believe there is a happy ending. And yet, the picture, the story of Easter is the, is, is the happy ending. Maybe not at this moment, but it is coming completely. Where complete resolution is coming. Uh, Glenn Shivner, he, he wrote a book called um, Divine Comedy when he was kind of talking about how the way, that, uh, the way that drama plays out and conflicts are resolved. And he kind of plays on this, and I want to use this real briefly, but he talked about the ancient Greeks when they talked about stories. And today when there's genres and movies, I mean, when you go on Netflix and there's like 50 different types of genres you can pick from. But in the ancient world, there was two, two genres. The story is either a tragedy or is it a comedy? And not the comedy like we have, you know, like Dumb and Dumber and Bad Mom's Night Out and things like that. And it's not that kind of comedy. It's a, a comedy was, was different. But there was tragedies and there was comedies. And ancient, ancient Greeks thought that tragedies were high art. That's the, that's the real art. And comedies were low art. They reckoned that tragedies were truthful engagements with the world as it is. And comedies, on the other hand, were considered frivolous escapes from life's harsh realities. So if I was going to paint this, this sort of picture of what a comedy looks like in the ancient Greek world and what a tragedy does, this is a really simple, because I think this is interesting, because the question I'll ask today is, what is life and what is Easter? So from the ancient Greeks, they said, okay, you had the, the mask up there, right? 
So the comedy has the smile, and this is an oversimplification, I know. But a comedy has this sort of arc to the story. It starts, it goes down, and then it goes up. It's kind of like a smile, right? It starts on high, it descends into the depth of the valley, something goes wrong within it, there's some big conflict and something, but it gets resolved in the end. And usually comedies end in sort of the ancient Greek term, they end with what? A wedding, a celebration, a dance, a party. Now, a tragedy... This looks a little different. So the story starts kind of lower, but then it arcs up to a high point, but then comes crashing down to the end. And it sort of reflects what? A frown. Kind of make the frown as best you can. There you go, right? It's the, it's the tragedy. It's the tragedy where it kind of goes up and it crashes down. So we ask the question, what's life? What is life? Is it, is, it a, is, it a, is, it, is it shaped like this, where it starts kind of on high, but it descends into a valley, but in the end, there's a happy ending? Or is life the, the tragedy? You're, it's, you're kind of born into a rough existence, and you kind of make your way, and you have these high points, and you try to make your way and advance in life, but in the end, it all falls apart. Tragedies usually end with a funeral. And so we ask that question today. What is life? And that's what I want to take a peek at because I believe that Easter tells us this story and what shape it has. And to say if we were to describe life not as this tragedy that ends with a funeral and our own death, mustering our way, pulling ourselves up to have the best existence we have, but in the end it just ends with tragedy. But to say, is there a happy ending in life? Is it more like the ancient said, a comedy? And that it's not just escapism. But today I want to look at the story of Easter and say that it is the story of a comedy. And so that's where we want to go today. And so let me start with this from Philippians 2. And uh, I'm going to read from verses 5 to 11. I'm going to pray as we begin that God, that, that this story is meant to be simple. It's meant that we can understand it. It's not meant that we need to be extra. Uh, Mentally elite, no, we have to be wealthy or rich. It was meant for everyone and to be clear and simple to the heart. So let's pray that the power of the story of God's story would meet us. So Father, would you come and enlighten us? Would you, God, come with your power that we could know today, that we could experience your cross and your resurrection and the goodness that you came to bring life to the person of Jesus Teach us, Lord. Reveal yourself to us by the power of your cross and resurrection. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So I want you to think about the arc of this story. This is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And it says this. This is how you should think among yourselves and with the mind that you have because you belong to the Messiah, Jesus. Now here's talking about the Messiah. Who, though in God's form, did not regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. Instead, he emptied himself and received the form of a slave, being born in, in the likeness of humans, and then, having human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, even the death on the cross. 
And so God has greatly exalted him, and to him in his favor has given the name, which is over all names, that now at the name of Jesus, every knee within heaven shall bow on earth too and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If we look at that story, if we look at just one passage in Philippians, and the shape of this story, it has the shape of the smile. It starts on high in Ephesians 2 verse 6, and it says this, Jesus was the very form, the exact essence of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was God, in equal with God, the very nature of God. God and Jesus were together in the Trinity, this three in one. This is where this story starts. It starts on high. It starts in the communion of God. Jesus is God. The exact nature, the exact essence. Could anything start more grand than with the story of God himself? And Jesus is God. This is where this story begins. It starts with Jesus creating all things. Jesus one with God and Jesus as God. So here's the question. So what then does Jesus do with all of his godness? How does Jesus respond who is in the exact essence, the nature of God, the very form of God? What does he do? Here's the answer. He plunges to the depths. This is verse 6. Who, though in God's form, did not regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. Instead, he emptied himself, received the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of humans, and then... Having human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, even the death of a cross. What does Jesus do? What does God do with all, Jesus with all of his godness? He plunges into the depths of our lives. He comes down. This is, isn't this the shape? It starts with God and he goes down into the depths of humanity. And not born into humanity as a king. Not born into humanity as a ruler. Not born into humanity as the all-powerful. But he comes as a servant. He's born into a Jewish family that has no consequence. At his birth, when there is a menial celebration from the angels and others here, a few, understand what has taken place. When the rival king hears about it, what happens? He annihilates every boy within that vicinity. That's a welcome, right? He comes down into the pit of life, into the tragedies of life, from his first breath into his end. This is what he does. Jesus, the very nature of God, the very form of God, descends to the depths. And Jesus doesn't come and meet us in our pit. He goes way deeper. He just doesn't come to our feet. He goes beneath our, our feet. And he just doesn't come and just have a terrible weekend and die, but he goes to the cross voluntarily to be crucified by, by Rome. Chooses to be annihilated, to die. The very one who was nature of God chooses to become with his arms nailed open, bleeding for the world. And so here's this one who is equal with God, and is most fulfilled, he's most 
fully revealing to us what God looks like in this picture. The God who comes near. Revealing this truth about God, that God is love, and that his love expresses itself in self-sacrifice, cruel, humiliating death on a cross for the sake of those he loves. See, the cross is what it looks like when Jesus shows up. Yeah, we see these pictures of the cross, right? We have, there's many that have been painted on there. And the cross of Jesus Christ, in many ways, is his great unveiling. What, is, what does God look like? What is his character like? What does he do? He comes down, he steps to the cross. This is what God looks like. That's why it's so scandalous. A God who is crucified by his enemies naked and weak and broken and poor. This is not the sign of strength. This is a sign of weakness. But yet this is the picture of God on the cross. What does God look like? What does it look like when he shows up? He says, this is what I look like when I show up. We see God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the kind of the title of today, God's Foolish Plan, it was in this text that, that Paul is writing to a group of people and he's talking about the cross, the scandal of the cross, that whom, however they present this God in flesh who gets crucified by his enemies, the Messiah, he says it's scandalous, it's foolishness to most people who hear it, but yet it is the power and the wisdom of God to save those who believe. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross, you see, is madness to people who are being destroyed, but to us, those who are being saved, it's God's power. Jews look for signs, you see, the Greeks search for wisdom, but we announce the crucified Messiah. A scandal to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called Jews and Greeks like the Messiah, God's power and God's wisdom. On the cross, we see the true God. We see our God. God who's pouring himself out for people. We see one showing up in our tragedy. You might think that this is not a very good picture of God, right? That it's not a great look for God. But when we understand the context of this story, we get a way better picture of who God is. So here's the question. We have this cross here. Here's our question. Why is Jesus there? Why is he there? Clearly he thinks we're in trouble. Clearly he thinks humanity is in big trouble. Or he would not go to such lengths. Clearly he thinks that we need to be rescued and saved. And the question for us, will you allow the rescuer to inform you of your trouble? Will you allow the rescuer to do his rescuing? When I was 15 years old, my family went to Lake Wapapello in Missouri for uh, an afternoon. We were driving back. My brother had just got his license. He was 16. I was 15. And I had a friend with me named Bart Gartman in the car. And we were driving. And my stepdad and mom were in the car behind us, uh, driving back from this lake. And we were driving along, and someone stopped us in the middle of this country road, screaming and freaking out. 
inviting us to, to help. My stepdad was like, you boys stay here, don't do anything. We're going to drive back and see if we can help. My brother didn't listen. He drives back too. We pull up. And what had happened, this man was cutting his grass on a tractor. He pulled, on their property, there was a little ravine. He cut a little too close. The tractor tipped over and was lying on top of him in the ravine. She was screaming and crying, trying to get anyone who would help. Because he was submerged in the mud. You could see his feet. And that's all you could see with this tractor on top of him. They called us. And anyone who would stop, and I probably there was like six of us, that pulled over on this empty country road in, in order to help. I can remember there, and I, and I walked up to, to see this. And I could see his feet lying out on the, under the, the tractor. And I was like, he's dead. It, it reminded me of the Wizard of Oz, that scene in the opening scene with the house that falls on the witch. Like, yeah, not, I mean, yeah, that, that was like, that was like, except, like, you know what I mean, like it's a movie, right, and color and really weird, but that's, what, that's all you could see. And they pulled us up and they said, we are going to, um, we're going to push this tractor up and pull him out. That was the plan, right, with, with all of us there. So, um, and they said, but one of us has to grab the man's legs. And I'm like, not me. <laughs> I did not want to touch him, right? But luckily, my buddy Bart was the smallest of all of us, so he got the task of grabbing his legs. By somehow, I mean, probably by my superhuman strength, we somehow, God, by God's grace, I do not know how, we, moved, we budged that tractor enough for my buddy Bart to be able to pull him out. Now, I don't know how long he sat in that mud, Right? It's sunk down face first. My brother had miraculously just taken CPR. Right? He was the only, 16, right? He knows how to do. The rest of us are idiots. We don't know. We, you know. He gets up there and gives him CPR until the ambulance comes and the man's life is saved. Unbelievable, right? He died two years ago. This was 30 years ago that this happened. A life sustained for 30 years. Now see, this guy... I'm sure when it happened, I don't know if he, he knew he was in trouble. When this begins to flip, you know what he was saying. And you know when it landed on him for that brief second that he was probably still conscious. You know that he knew he was in trouble. And needed to be rescued. Needed anyone and everyone in order to be able to save him. See, the reality of this as we think about our own lives in need of being rescued the reality is, is that um, we have kind of all fallen into this terrible situation. And a lot of it is the most of our own doing. Some of the terrible situations are not 100% all of our own doing, but the majority of our troubles, all our own doing. And on top of this, this wet, this, this, uh, wage this debt this tractor has fallen upon us and the reality for what jesus says there's nobody who can budget nobody and when he calls the tractor right in this story jesus calls tractor it's sin right it's it's this it's this darkness that has plummeted upon all of humanity in which the God of light would want his longing to shine in, to give us life, but yet we chose darkness. 
And the God of love was coming forward in order to show us life, but yet we chose hatred and disconnection. And as God was offering life in him, we chose death. We continue to reveal our brokenness, our alienation from God by our actions and our alienation and estrangement from humanity by our actions with every word of jealousy and hatred, with every act and look of lust and every word of slander and every grudge. We sort of bear the test, testimony in our life testifies that we're living in estrangement from God. And that nothing can free us from this estrangement, this darkness the Bible calls sin. It's proof that we're alienated from God and, and even one another. And if we're alienated from God, the life source, what can we expect but death? This is the problem that Jesus comes to solve, our problem of sin. And he is the only one who can come and solve it. See, most of us, when we think about this problem that we have where Jesus says, hey, why am I here? I'm here for this problem of sin, of death, of decay, of disconnection, of darkness that all of us have breathed in and have lost our breath and life. Most of us just want somebody to help us just a little bit. We want somebody who can just say, hey, uh, just, you, know, you can help me out and God will take a little bit of help but we really don't need you. But we are desperate and Jesus proclaims and says, do you know the kind of rescuing that you need? Do you know the depth to which you have fallen? And do you know the only one who can rescue you is the one who would take your debt, who would himself be plunged under that tractor and not be recitated by a rescue of God's grace, but one who would take the, fill, the full penalty and the weight and breathe in the toxic fumes of the gasoline and suck in all the mud and grime into his body until he breathed no more. And he would be mocked and ridiculed why he was doing it, saying, you don't have any power. Oh, if you're God, why don't you save yourself? And Jesus said, I wanted to save myself in one minute I could show my power and have 12,000 legions of angels ready to battle for me. But he shows his power over all the brokenness of humanity and gives us life. The life that we couldn't have and the life that we couldn't save and the life that we could do nothing for, he gives his in our great need. We know the story Jesus dies, is buried, and by the power of God, he is raised from the dead to conquer death by the perfect life of God who has the keys of life and death, puts an end to the darkness, the disconnection, and the death that life seems to hold for all of us estranged from God. This is the arc of the story of Easter and this is the offer that is given to each of us who would trust, who would believe, who would receive this power of the story of Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection from the grave in order to be the remedy of our sickness and death. Praise be to God. Amen. But I tell you what, the best way to hear this story is to hear it in the example of a person. And so yesterday, Danielle uh, Lena, who's a part of our community, was baptized. And before she was baptized, she shared her story. 
And we captured that story with videotapes. And she shares this story of God's redemption and salvation and grabbing her and bringing her back to life. She was living a life that was a tragedy. And all of a sudden she realized what God was offering was not that but life. So let's, uh, let's watch and listen to Danielle. She shares her story. And then we're going to watch her be baptized um, as well. Hi, I'm Danielle, and this is my story. I'm getting baptized today. Growing up, I was not raised in a religious or faith-based home. My only interaction with the possible teaching of God was a Wednesday night youth group that was my parents' um, way of just getting a date night babysitter. Uh, it was more like a game night than any teaching night, and our family did not attend church on Sunday. With that said, I didn't have any fundamental teaching about the Lord and all his greatness, salvation, and comfort. When I was about 10, my parents divorced, and then two months after, I turned 12, my father passed away. Needless to say, I was angry. I was angry at the world. I was angry at God and very broken. Who could this God be if he would allow our family to fall apart and take a parent away from a young child? I struggled through some very dark times and made very poor decisions. I had to become adult too early in life. Later, as I began my next chapter in life, I met my wonderful husband. We got married and had our daughter, Haley. I felt so blessed and all that anger melted away. I started thinking more about God and his grace. He was there, watching over me, keeping me safe, and guiding me when I wasn't even aware or asking him to. He was blessing me each and every minute. About two years ago, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. I wasn't angry. During those earlier dark times, I would have been. It would have been just another layer of hurt and frustration and feeling of abandonment. But this yet another gut-punching news wasn't as terrible. I had my husband by my side, my daughter smile, and a loving family to hold my hand, and somehow I knew he was with me. This is a beautiful scar. This scar repaired my soul. This scar filled my heart with more faith, joy, and love than anyone could dream to have. This scar gave me comfort. This scar gave me life. This wonderful, beautiful, amazing scar was gifted to me by God the one who holds my heart and soul lovingly in his precious hands. I'm grateful every day for this physical reminder of my one true and faithful savior. When I came out the other side of surgeries and radiation, I was eager to find a church, to show my appreciation to God, to learn more about who he is, who never turned his back on me. Although in my earlier years, I turned mine on him, my heart is overwhelmed by his love. I told myself I would get baptized after a year of a commitment to attending church, thinking I needed to earn it. What I learned in less than a year, less than a month, was I didn't need to earn it. God is gracious. I don't need to earn his love. I don't need to prove myself to him. I know I have inherited all his unconditional love as his daughter. Today is the day I commit my life to God. I promise to listen with open ears and look with eyes wide open to go through the rest of my life with an open, caring, godly heart 
and to continue to be grateful each day for the blessings he gives to me and to the life he intends for me to fulfill in his name. Thank you. Danielle, have you decided to trust Jesus with everything you have? I have. Do you know that your life is a gift from him and he loves you and there's nothing you can do to be separated from God as your father and the family of God? I do. Then I cross your arms. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So, Danielle, we praise God for what you've done. And, and we, we'd say, in parts of her story, there's times if we sat, Danielle, where are you? I know you do not want to be um, pointed to or acknowledged. But as we look at the storyline, there was a time when Danielle said, the story is a tragedy. Right? My life is a tragedy. And God has abandoned us. God is the problem. And I'm the solution. Right? Have you lived that way before? Even though you might know things about God. Is that how you live right now? God, you're the problem. You're the one screwing everything up. Making everything hard. Everything stinks because of you. And I'm just going to make the best of it as I can. I'll breathe my last and good riddance. A tragedy. Is that the line? Is that the storyline? Danielle, is that the story that you're a part of? And you heard her say, no. Is there tragedy in life? Oh, goodness. The disconnection in her parents' relationship and the brokenness of divorce, right? The weakness of human life and disease that breaks in, that takes the life of her father at 12, the same brokenness and weakness of disease that plagues her life just two years ago with cancer. Right? You could say, is it tragedy? But her story is saying, no, here's a God who breaks in and her scar reminds her of God's gift to her of life and being with her in it all. As she had said, oh my gosh, I'm coming to my senses. God has not abandoned me. He's not the problem. We are, I am, this world is broken and this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way marriages aren't supposed to crumble and relationships aren't supposed to be fractured and people aren't supposed to lose their lives to cancer and death isn't supposed to snuff out. We were meant to live and our sorrow and our mourning proclaims it. We shout for something different. If you want to hear more of that, come next week. And we talk about sleepless nights, dealing and navigating with life's losses and longings. Where we talk about being able to shake our fist at God and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And allow God to speak into our realities with his presence. But the story, the story of Easter, as Danielle is proclaiming to us all, it's not the one of tragedy, but it's the one of resurrection and of life by the only one who could come in our weakness and save us, Jesus. And so we must turn. We must come to our senses. We must change the storyline and the narrative. Our eyes have got to be open to see things differently. And by God's grace, he may allow you and me to do that where we would realize God's not the problem. 
I am. My sin, my brokenness, my hiding, I'm the problem. And I, or none of you, can pull me out of death and darkness and disconnection. Jesus is the one who dives into it all, below it, into the depth of hell. And into my darkness, he says, let me be your light. Into your disconnection, let me be your love. And within your death, let me be your life. And for those of us who can believe the power of the cross and of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection to give us newness of life and can trust in that, trust in him for life, we are awakened to a new story that we have been pulled in the story of God. And for this, it's like a meteor crashing of joy into our sorrow. It's where tragedy and comedy collide together. It's the unexpected twist of a happy ending of God being with us, even in the midst of tragedies that we go through now. This is the story of Easter. And so in verse 9 of the arc of this story, when it began, it said the Father, Jesus, was in the exact form of God. And what did he do? He descends into our depth and our brokenness and into humanity and becomes a servant. And then what does he do as a servant? He goes to the cross in obedience to the Father for our sins. And so then what is the good news out of the one who's gone to the cross? It's this. And so God has greatly exalted him in verse 9. He was raised from the dead, that's the exalted. Raised from death to life, the firstborn from the dead. He was exalted, and to him in his favor has given the name to which is over all names. Now, at the name of Jesus, every knee within heaven shall bow, on earth too and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Lord, Master. God, to the glory of God, the Father. What does this mean for us? Your and my lives do not have to be tragedies. We don't have to just try to make the best of it before we live our last days. But there is the divine inbreaking work of God that longs to change the story, to flip the ark, to make it this divine comedy of sorts. God is breaking into the tragedy with his power, light, life, love, and transforming us to live in this new reality. In this new life, he's inviting us to enter this new life now that would change the arc of our story even as we step into these moments of tragedies because we are stepping into moments of tragedies. Each of us continue to experience them in different form. But we experience them with God with us and who many times invites us into these tragedies of life and, and ask us, hey, as I empower you and transform you by my spirit, I'm inviting you to imitate me, 
to imitate my pattern of being a servant, to imitate my pattern of joining with others and suffering for them on their, in their behalf. Not because you earn anything, but you're beginning to look exactly like me, your father. He's inviting us to be transformed by him, by his Holy Spirit and his power to live a different kind of life. Not just trying to muster up and have the best that things that life can offer, but to be okay going into the depths of life and to know the best things that it offers is God inviting us to be with him and to step into this life as servants, bearing his likeness in this world. That's life. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, Lose it. And it's almost like someone can say, April Fool's Day. <laughs> it makes no sense, right? You want to gain your life? Lose it in Jesus. It's the joy he offers us, the life he offers us today. And he offers us that overwhelmingly to us, his salvation and this newness of life to transform us. I want more of that. In church, family, friends, many of you that I know, I think, I know you do too. And for the stranger in here that I don't know, I think you want long, you long for that as well. May we receive it and trust it and invite God to do what he is longing to do, which is to flip the story and allow Easter to be the story of his resurrection, of his redemption and his salvation. Let's pray. So Father, we pause here. Would you forgive us, God, for missing the big story, for missing, for looking over, for missing how beautiful it is that you would come down into our depth as God in flesh and step into our tragedy. And you would step in as a servant and give your life when we are in need of great rescue. We praise you, God, and we praise you that in that depth that the grave did not hold you. We praise you, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead to show us that death has been conquered, that forgiveness of sins is available, and that we can be restored, no longer being alienated from you and one another. And we say, Lord, that is the life we want. And so, we pray, God, that you would do the great exchange right now. In exchange for our darkness, God, exchange for our death, exchange for our disconnection from one another and you, for our sin, exchange, God, that you would give us life. Through the grace of Jesus, that you would give, your light would shine, exposing all of our darkness and free us from the death that holds us bound and afraid and guilty. Would you forgive us, God, and set us free to live in your story? We praise you, God, that the story is no longer a tragedy, but one that you're intervening in and rewriting through the beautiful work of Jesus on the cross as resurrection and then through your Holy Spirit at work in us. So God, would you receive us? 
For those who are hungering for this, God, would you pour yourself upon us to receive this gift from you? And may we receive along with it as we walk, and many times in the valley, receive your joy of life. As we eagerly await to stand before you face to face and to all those who have passed before us and to proclaim that you are Lord. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.